Okay, good evening, everyone. Okay. Be on lesson, lesson number 12 this evening. Um, it's a lesson on restoration. I will say this was, uh, I pray that this will be a challenge to you, a challenge to me specifically in some certain things, um, just personally. Um, look at studying this lesson. I pray that it will be to you as well. There is a lot of verses in this one. Um, so we're going to see how we're doing time-wise. Like if you look on your last page, see all those uh, additional references for study. So <laughs> there's a, there are a lot of verses tonight. So get your fingers, get them all ready, and get your tongue, get them all ready for reading. And nobody left. Thank you. Okay, lesson number 12. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for uh, this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. And I uh, thank you for the opportunity to be able to bring this lesson tonight. I pray that it would be a challenge to others as it was to me. And um, we each have our own uh, things that we struggle with. And ask that, again, when we do fall, that this lesson here, our lesson on restoration. And ask that you please just help us and be with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's our text first is actually John chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. And so we'll go ahead and start that if you would start that, Pastor. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the three sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, for the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast a net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon heard it, heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. Soon then, as they were come to land, they saw fiery coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus said, saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter, uh, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of, uh, drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three, and. Uh, for all there were so many yet there was not uh, yet the nut was not broken Jesus saith unto them come and dine and none of the disciples durst ask him who art thou knowing that it was the Lord Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead so when they had dined Jesus saith unto Simon Peter Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto them, Yes, Lord, 
that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was great, because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Very, very, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldst. And when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldst. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto them, Follow me. Isn't that interesting? That's the first thing. One of the first things that was said to him is, Follow me. And now Jesus is repeating that again. Anyway, just interesting. Interesting to note. Because now that Jesus has been crucified, of course, he's already risen from the dead and he's already appeared to him twice before this time. Um. Peter and several of the other disciples, there were seven of them, decided to go fishing. And then they were reminded once again that without the Lord, they can do nothing. Much as he had done early on in their education, there's a lot of things that are repeated in this instance compared to the first time. Or this is not the first time some of these things have happened, is what I'm trying to say. Christ gave them a, a miraculous catch. And with this, they knew that the Lord had fully returned to them, and with love and compassion, he now shows Peter the way to return to him. So some goals to think about um, in the lesson tonight, this is some interesting things, is understanding that failure in our Christian life doesn't need to be final, doesn't have to be final. Realize that Jesus never runs out of love for his own, and then this is a good one here, choose always to run to Christ in repentance rather than away in shame. Always return back to Him. So jumping into <clears throat> our lesson here, as we look at Christ's seaside conversation with Peter, we see the perfect example of how we ought to deal with others. Continual patience, love, and long-suffering. So again, kind of think about it from two avenues tonight, know how we need to deal with others, but then because of how the Lord deals with us here. So young, a, young, a young mother recently shared this story. It says, tonight, my daughter took a scary tumble of about six feet off the bench on our deck to the grass below. After months and months of telling her, no ma'am, get down, you'll fall, and physically removing her from the temptation to climb up and over it dozens and dozens of times, she sneaked one by mommy and got the scare of her little two years of life. She was miraculously spared from any injuries, just shaken up a bit. Says, I suppose I could have made me upset with her, but I wasn't. I was sad for her and with her. I didn't say, I told you so. I simply held her close, sighed a thankful prayer of relief, dried her tears, and reminded her of the importance of her obeying what mommy and daddy said. Thinking about it now, it's a reminder of how God is with me when I disobey. I know exactly what my biggest temptations are, and yet I won't stay away from them. I try to get as close as I can without getting hurt. 
However, there are always consequences for disobedience. When I am battered and bruised and crying tears of pain and repentance over the mess that I've made with my own hands, the Lord doesn't leave me to cry alone. He picks me up, dusts me off, and reminds me gently that he loves me and that obedience to his word keeps me safe. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, 11. You know, those of us that are parents, we've personally experienced that. that. But literally, I mean, thinking about it, how God is with us. In John 21, verses 1 to 19, here, we see how Jesus restores Peter to a place of fellowship. Where there had once been doubt, there would again be delight. Where there had once been failure, there would now be victory. This is what Christ wants to see in our lives, and that's how we ought to endeavor to see what we ought to endeavor to see in the lives of those who are under our influence. So point number one starts with an F. It's a single word. Think of the situation. Kind of another word for that. Falling. Not falter. That's a what? Seven, eight, eight letters, I think. Seven or eight letters. You might not get it. Say, resistance is futilityness. Futility. In this passage, we see the disciples defeated, discouraged, and hungry. They had gone back to what they knew best, fishing. But with their best efforts, they came up empty. Satan tries to tempt us to discouragement as well, especially during times of physical weakness. Remember that the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness after a 40-day fast, believing that was the best time to find him vulnerable. And he was right. You know? We need to be very careful when we're physically weary or ill or emotionally overwrought that we don't allow Satan to win a victory in our lives. It's when we are weak that we can actually be the strongest if we look to God as our source of strength. Paul rejoiced in his weakness, for it kept him dependent on the Lord. He explained this concept to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. He exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. <clears throat> in the day that I named, my grace was sufficient for thee, and my strength was made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Subpoint A, the disciples were, starts with an F. Technically before that. They were faithless. Jesus had died, been buried, was risen, and had shown himself to his disciples twice before in this. Of course, right before that, the second one would have been no with Thomas, no. When he shows himself to Thomas when they're there. It was the second time. 
And he also commanded them to follow him and be fishers of men back in Matthew chapter 4. And the disciples were following Christ, who had proven to be God, commissioned them to a great work. But here, we see them still lacking faith. There was a time when Peter had said in Mark 10, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. He says that in Luke as well, 18. He was saying that they had surrendered all to follow Jesus, but now instead of going forward by faith, they had chosen to go back to fishing for whatever reason there. Now, as Christians, we must realize that while it is easy to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, in reality, it is very difficult to live. Satan is a master at getting people to look back and long for the past. That's a really interesting thought, at getting people to look back and long for the past, the good old days, when it was. The good old days always seem better in retrospect than they really were. The Israelites are a prime example of this. They had been freed from slavery and oppression, spared from Pharaoh's armies as God opened the Red Sea, miraculously fed in the wilderness, seen water come from a rock. Yet, even with all those miracles, they still pined after the things that they had left behind in Egypt. Numbers 11, verses 5 to 6. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. The first man to fly solo across the Atlantic was Charles Lindbergh in 1927. In those days, such a journey was a great risk. Lindbergh revealed in his autobiography how he was beset by doubts and fears until he passed the point of no return. It was at that point in his journey that he realized he was closer to Europe than he was to America and no longer had the fuel to go back. And so he continued on toward Paris, completing the 33 and a half hour trip and became a national hero in the process. So think about that, he had to stay awake for that long, which shows you how that plane obviously doesn't go that fast compared to today. 33 and a half hours in the air. That's flight <laughs> and a half. As believers, we should see ourselves as past the point of no return and truly commit ourselves to the Lord so that there will be no turning back. Remember Jesus went all the way to the cross for us. There's an old chorus that goes like this. After all he's done for me, after all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely after all he's done for me? That brings us then to sub-point B, the disciples were, they're faithless, but then they also were, and it's not fishless, <laughs> but think along those lines. Fruitless, yes. In this passage, we read that the disciples turned back, back to their old life, their old occupation. Now, this way of life was familiar. After all... They had been commercial fishermen long before they were disciples of Christ. They knew, exact, excuse me, they knew exactly what to do and how to do it. They worked hard at it and stayed out of the water all night. 
long. And of course, the end result was that they caught no fish. They had nothing to eat. Satan tries to tell us that if we go back to what is comfortable and to what we know, success and happiness awaits us there. He makes our comfort zone look very attractive. Many Christians leave God's will to look for an easier way, only to find at the end of the rainbow that there's not a pot of gold, but rather barrenness and emptiness. The psalmist said in Psalm 1611, In thy presence is fullness of joy. The believer who's walking with Christ realizes that there is a peace and fulfillment that can never be achieved in the world. And a number of verses here in Psalms. Psalm 4, verse 6. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the, up the light of thy countenance upon us. Psalm 1611. Psalm 36, verses 5 to 9. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep, O Lord. Thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasure. For with thee is the fountain of life, from thy life shall we see And Psalm 84, verses 10 to 12. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is the Son of Israel. The Lord is his grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. The Lord of hosts blessings the man that trusts in him. A man was found fishing happily in a mud puddle and was asked, Don't you know there's no fish in there? Yes, was his answer, but it's close and handy. If you want joy and satisfaction and true meaning in your life, look in the right place. In the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, calling to the disheveled, weary, and no doubt very frustrated fishermen, said, Children, have ye any meat? Today we might say, Any luck, boys? must have been more than a bit humiliating for them to admit their failure to someone they thought was a stranger, but with the nets hanging empty, there wasn't any escaping reality. And it was Peter who had led them into it. He had been the first to say, I go a-fishing, and the other disciples have followed him. As believers, we need to realize that our actions have consequences, and one of the most important of these consequences that there will always be others who will follow our steps. The November 2014 issue of Reader's Digest contained a story from Texas Monthly called The Family That Robbed Banks. This was the heading, this was the heading, Widower Scott Cat had a secret life as a bank robber, but when he wanted accomplices, he turned to the two people he trusted most in this world, his kids. Although reluctant at first, they came to rationalize it. He did it so quickly and easily that it planted a seed, said the son later. I thought, my dad really does know what he's doing. The daughter's thinking was, this is something I felt like I had to do. I didn't want to let my dad down. The son accompanied the father into the banks while the daughter drove the getaway car. 
After two successful heists, the third try resulted in their arrest and the father leading both his children into prison. I kind of wanted to look that up, but I didn't have time. <laughs> Sounds very interesting. But again, the point of people follow us. So sub, or uh, not sub point, our main point of two tonight, we have futility and we also have, starts with an F, think progression in our story. After the fishing. Feasting. Yep. Feasting. In the midst of their futile activity, the stranger on the shore urged the men to cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. What did the disciples have to lose? They gave it one more try and almost instantly their net was full. Something about this was familiar. Because they realized it and seemed to have happened before. Then they realized that this was no stranger. It was the Lord himself. Now the next verses are Luke 5, 1 to 11, but I'll go ahead and read those here. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people at the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they, and when they had this done... They enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and the net, their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all they and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. The disciples had seemed to be abandoned their call to follow, it seems, but the Savior never abandoned them. Not only did Jesus seek them out when they were away from him, but he also provided for them took care of their physical needs. Can you imagine what it must have been like to hear the master say, bring of the fish which ye have now caught, which ye have now caught, come and dine. Jesus was inviting them back into his presence and his fellowship. And I also noticed something really interesting here. It's kind of interesting. If you go back to like the uh, passage in John 21 on the first part of your sheet, if you look at um, verse 9, Even if you go back a little bit before that, you know, Peter jumps in, swims, the other disciples, verse 8, are coming ashore. And in verse 9, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. And then verse 10, Jesus said unto them, bring the fish which ye have now caught. So Jesus already had some fish, apparently. Where did he get this fish? Interesting. Think about. 
Let's note some other points here. First, it was John, the disciple that Jesus loved, who noticed and recognized the Savior. John said to Peter, it is the Lord. John, the one who laid his head on the breast of the Savior, quickly recognized the one whom he loved and the one who loved him. Do we recognize the voice of the Lord when he speaks to us? John 10, 27. Then John 20, 15 to 17. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Second, it is challenging to see that when Peter knew it was the Lord, he immediately wanted to get to him. The ship would ultimately get there, but Peter didn't want to wait. He jumped out of the boat and swam to the Lord. We ought to ask ourselves, how badly do we want to be with the Lord, to see the Lord? Peter was living the principle taught in James 4, verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So subpoint A, the, starts with an F. It's not fish, but it has to do with that. Food, yes. The food. While the Lord's presence alone would serve to be enough, he provided fish and bread to sustain his disciples. It wasn't a fancy meal, but it was just what was needed at the time. Christ knows exactly what we need, and he provides. Be mindful of the fact that he doesn't promise luxuries, but he does promise to meet all of our needs. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things did the Gentiles seek, and your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And one of the verses that's not on your, uh, in your, in your um, handouts there is 1 Timothy 6 6 to 10. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we have brought for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. George Mueller of Bristol, England, was a man of both prayer and faith. He followed God's call. During his ministry, he built five large orphanages and cared for over 10,000 orphans. He trusted God to provide for those orphans. On one occasion, one of those orphanages was totally out of money and had nothing to feed the children. Mueller had the children sit down at their tables with their bowls and their spoons and ask them to pray in faith, believing for their breakfast. His biography relates that even as they were praying, a knock came at the door. 
a farmer taking milk and food to market had the wheel break on his cart. Knowing of his inability to get to the market, he decided to donate the food and the milk to the orphanage. Mueller stated his ministry philosophy with these words. The first and primary object of the work was, and still is, that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith, without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers, whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. We serve the same God today. The disciples were hungry, and Jesus took care of them. The scripture states in Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that, the context of that is talking about physical needs there to that church. King David learned this in a personal way, fleeing from Saul and hiding in the caves of Judea. Another familiar verse, Psalm 37.25, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. We are called to help meet the physical needs of others at times as well. This is um, another verse that's not in your handout there. James 2, 14 to 17 says, What to the prophet, my brethren? Though a man say he have faith and have not works, faith save him. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what to the profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Subpoint B, the, starts with an F as well. Again, kind of think progression. We had the feasting. Have the fellowship. Not a bunch of fellows in a ship, they're on land at this point, but <laughs> not only did the disciples have their stomachs filled, they also had their hearts warmed because they had a time of fellowship there on the seashore with their Lord. Jesus himself served them and ate with them. What an amazing illustration of servant leadership to prepare and serve a meal for men who were not currently about their father's business. Psalm, 10, sorry, Psalm 107, verse 1. So give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. If you have known times, of close communion with the Lord in your life, you understand that it is priceless. This was God's intention at creation before sin entered into the world. Again, this is where we start to have a number of um, number of extra verses. Um, the first ones we'll skip here. It's again, it's talking about in Genesis two with the Lord and Adam taking him and um, creating Eve, and then. Genesis chapter 3, when they are, um, after they've sinned, you know, they're hiding from him, hiding from the presence of the Lord. And Jacob's encounter with the, Lord, with the angel of the Lord gave him what he needed to face his brother Esau. And he found courage having been in God's presence. This is in, in Genesis 32. Again, it's not um, on the sheets there, but it's the situation there with Jacob wrestling 
you know, with the angel of the Lord. And that's where um, I will not let you go until you bless me. And that's where he uh, touches his thigh, puts it out of joint, and he calls him Israel, changes his name to Israel from Jacob there. And it's interesting, remember what Jacob called the place? Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Gideon met God by his father's wine press and was transformed from a timid young man to a mighty leader. Um, we'll read this one here in, uh, in Judges 6. Again, I'll go back and read it. If you have your Bible, you can turn there if you want. Uh, Judges chapter 6. Judges 6, verse 11, verses 11 um, to 16. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, and pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press. Again, threshing wheat at a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Which is a very interesting statement considering what was just said in the verse before that. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles? Which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewithal shall I save? Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my, in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Bible's example of this same concept are plenteous, but here's another one. Now, in prison, Paul and Silas communed with the Lord for whom they were suffering, and God responded miraculously. And that resulted in the Philippian jailer coming to Christ along with his household. Again, familiar situation there, so we won't take time to read um, all those verses there in Acts 16. And that brings us to our last point um, this evening, point number three. We have futility, we have feasting, and then we have Trineth. Think of the lesson title. Not forbearance, similar word. Um, not really a similar word, but yep. Going down the right path, forgiveness. Now that the disciples have been fed, Christ showed them that he had forgiven them. One of the greatest ways to show forgiveness to someone is to re-involve them in life and in ministry, and even ministry. Even though Peter had deserted his call and gone back to fishing, he's about to be recommissioned. Subpoint A, we have Peter's, starts with a C. Yep, Peter's confession. Lovest thou me more than these? Was the Lord's question put directly to Peter. As I believe Jesus was asking Peter, Do you love me more than these other disciples? Again, the way he words it the first time, Lovest thee more than these? 
and I think the next two times, lovest thou me. Peter, out of all the men who followed, Peter, out of all the men who followed me, including your own brother, Andrew, including John, who leaned on my breast at the Passover meal, do you love me the most? At one time, Peter proclaimed in front of all of them that he loved Jesus the most, more than anybody else. Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35, on your sheet there. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, At this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Soon after that awful night in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was arrested and taken, and the Bible says that all the disciples forsook him and fled. As we saw in Lesson 10, Peter did follow, but from a distance. But when he was accused of being one of Christ's disciples, he did just as Jesus said he would and denied him three times. And so Jesus went to the cross, died, was placed in the tomb, rose again, just as the Gospels tell us. And now, sometime later, Jesus is looking Peter right in the eye and asking the question, Lovest thou me? It's a direct question. It's a personal question. It's a question that we all need to take to heart. With all the ways Jesus has demonstrated his love for us, it's a fair question to ask. Do we love him? Jesus and Peter alike knew that there were different depths and levels of love. Jesus asked Peter three times, lovest thou me? On all three occasions, Peter answered that, yes, he loved him. But the word that Peter used for love is the Greek word phileo, which is the love one has for a brother or a close friend. The word that Jesus used for love in his first two questions was the type of love he was seeking from Peter, like, which is, you've all heard the term, agape love. The word agape is known as the idea of a volitional, self-sacrificial love, just like the one, the love that the Lord has for those that he died for. It's easy to have a casual or a friendship love, but agape love will always cost us something. It costs the Lord everything. The Lord Jesus told his disciples, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. Again, John 13, familiar verses there. That love to which those verses refer to is agape love. A sacrificial love that always impacts the recipient. Christ teaches that his, this love is to be the hallmark of his disciples. Agape is also the word that's used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there's some other verses that are given here. Again, think about the, that when these verses are read. There are other verses in the New Testament that use the agape for the word love there. Matthew 5, 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, 
Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, rich young ruler, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Mark 12, 30 to 31. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. Again, other verses in the New Testament that talking about agape love. John 3, verse 35. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. John 13, further in that chapter. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, talking about John, whom Jesus loved. Here's a challenging one, guys. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 1 John 3, 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The third time Jesus asked the question, he used Peter's word, phileo. Peter, essentially, Peter, if you don't love me with agape love, you at least love me with phileo. The Bible says Peter was grieved because he asked him, the third time, lovest thou me? That's why. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Looking into the eyes of the Savior, Peter had to be honest. He knew he should love the Lord with agape love, and no doubt wanted to, but he knew he wasn't there yet and couldn't pretend he was. One day he would, though, and Jesus knew it. So sub-point B, our last one, uh, sub-point tonight, Christ's, also starts with a C, got Peter's confession, Christ's commission, yep, Christ's commission. As the time of this teaching comes to a close in the life of Peter, Christ issues two clear commands. The first is for Peter to feed Christ's lambs and the Christ's sheep, the second and the third one. This feeding could be described, you think of teaching and fellowship. Now, in one, it talks about here now, in one sense of the word lambs, Jesus could have been talking about children. Remembering how, remember how precious children were to Jesus. Matthew 18, and verses 2 to 6, and then 10 to 11. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as, as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoso, <clears throat> whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall repent one of these little ones which believe in me, 
It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And Matthew 19, 13 to 14, not in your uh, sheet there, but then they were brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. In Deuteronomy 6, we read how parents were commanded to raise their children. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 9. I'll, I'll read them out of uh, the book here. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. That's where it starts. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So first they were to have the word of God in their own hearts, and then they were to teach their children diligently. That was a solemn responsibility not given to anyone but the parents. In, Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read about the mother of Samuel who took her duties very seriously. Again, talking about Hannah and everything there. We won't read it for time's sake here. In Judges 13 about the parents of Samson. They were serious about wanting to know God's will and how they should raise him. Judges 13, 12. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child, and how shall we do unto him? They were concerned about doing that. In the book of 2 Timothy, we see the Apostle Paul referring to the godly upbringing of Timothy. Again, won't read it for time's sake, but talking about in verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, Dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Then he continues on, there's some other verses in 2 Timothy, then Ephesians. But the word lambs can also refer to new believers or people young in the faith. People who need guidance and encouragement from those who have known the Lord for a while. In Acts 9, we read about how Barnabas took the new believer Saul and vouched for him with the disciples. Do you ever consider that without Barnabas being willing to help and guide a new believer, there might never have been an Apostle Paul? He was willing to feed the lamb. And this is in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 um, to 27. It says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, again, this is after the road to Damascus, after Paul or Saul at this point has been saved. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, or he attempted to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Again, this is the guy that's been trying to kill him and arrest him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. In Acts 11, we read about Barnabas bringing Saul to Antioch to help in the ministry. So it's important that we not only encourage and guide new believers, but we get them involved in serving God as well. 
Again, it talks about uh, the passage there in Acts 11, which we won't read for time's sake. In Acts 15, we read about Barnabas taking up for his nephew, Mark, John Mark. Mark had become discouraged and left the ministry, and Paul wanted nothing more to do with him. But Barnabas was determined to give this lamb another chance, feed him, and strengthen him. So in Acts 15, 39, again talking about Paul and Barnabas here, says, And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. We don't ever hear anything about Barnabas again, but we do find John Mark being written about by Paul, that he's profitable for me, for the ministry. The only way to have sheep in the future is to take good care of the lambs now. And so Jesus told Peter, you say you love me, don't just tell me, show me, feed my lambs. Give some examples here um, of kind of like a mentoring kind of relationship there. Moses and Joshua, some verses in Exodus. Jesus and his disciples as well. Christ knew that newborn Christians are truly prone to wonder and they must be grounded in the faith. Christ's great commission is in reality twofold. It's reaching and teaching. When we are doing this, we are obeying Christ's command. Feed my lambs, Jesus told Peter, and then feed my sheep. That's repeated twice. Jesus again used the illustration of sheep to point out the importance of each individual person. Think of the example Matthew 18, 12 to 13. How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep, one of them go astray, be gone astray. Doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Oh, there's other examples of believers feeding the sheep here. Um, gives a number of them. Paul and Timothy. Paul and the churches. Elijah. Elisha. David. Jonathan. Later, Peter would pass on this advice to elders in the church, to pastors. This is 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll, um, I'll turn it here real quick. But 1 Peter chapter 5, again, this is kind of probably closer to the end in Peter's life here. 1 Peter chapter 5, what he says here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. As the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Secondly, Christ commands Peter once again to follow him. This might have been a little hard for Peter to hear and accept, for he had so recently ceased to follow Christ. But he knew he needed to get back to doing what he'd been called to do. And he knew that however rough that road may turn out to be, it was the only way to go, no turning back. In the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus would have this word in, for the church at Ephesus. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. 
Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Christ knew that if Peter would follow, and follow closely, he would be far less distracted. These two commands, feed my lambs and feed my sheep and follow me, are as applicable to us today as they were to Peter 2,000 years ago. So in conclusion, repentance was a hard lesson for Peter to learn because it was prompted by his own failure and humiliation. But as we've looked at Peter's life during this lesson, we can certainly be reminded of the fact that we will face the same temptations and the same trials that he endured. While it is always better to never leave or stray from our calling, we are wise to remember that we can always return to our Father. Jesus gave the story of the prodigal son to illustrate that very truth. We can always come back to the Lord and we can still serve Him as we seek to fulfill the will of the Savior. So that completes uh, lesson 12 in here, a lesson on restoration. Any, any thoughts from anybody? Again, it's a very challenging lesson tonight. But any, anything that anybody wants to share that maybe stood out to you or not? No worries if not, but give them a chance. Anybody? Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight and just the opportunity that we have to serve you. And how, though we fall, we don't have to stay down. And failure doesn't have to be fatal. We pray that when we do stray from you, that again, you always pick us up dust us off and remind us of the importance of obeying you and following you because that's what's best and keeps us safe. And I pray that um, you use this lesson in the life of Peter that's pertinent for us today, a lesson on restoration, that we would, again, when we do fall and fail, that we would always come back in repentance to you and not stay away in shame we'd humble ourselves and repent. I ask you that you just uh, help us in our daily lives, and we each have our own struggles and everything with, that we deal with. Just help us know as a church that we would just be encouraging one another um, in your work and to do what's right. And I pray that you give us safety and bring us back, um, go, safety going to our homes tonight, and bring us back together again uh, on Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen.